Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of February 17th through the 19th, 2023. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Myself, personally, I had a pretty dope weekend. I was out of town uh, in Philadelphia for a match at the Gathering Convention, which was loads of fun. Um, you know, saw some friends, slung some spells, and even was able to sneak in a trip to the local AMC, the Watts Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which we'll talk about later. Um, and then on Monday, it was President's Day, so my wife and I had a nice day out together. So all in all, a good time around. But the box office doesn't stop, so we're going to have some numbers to dive into. Uh, in the first place, we're back to another $100 million opener with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania for the MCU, $106 million to be precise, in 4,345 theaters for 24421 per theater average. So that's you know, the first of the films I thought would make $100 million. Checkmark, we got there. Um, overseas, it's made $121 million for the weekend to take, uh, for a weekend t- total take of $228 million worldwide over the three-day weekend, with some weaknesses in Korea and China. More on that later. Uh, notably, the four-day domestic weekend was able to leg out to $120 million uh, with President's Day. This is more or less in line with what the box office pros uh, had forecast for $102 million. Now, compared to other recent MCU films, this is below everything released in 2022. However, it is the fifth $100 million opener in a row from the MCU. And if you exclude the 2021 pandemic-era films, that streak goes back to 2018, when the last sub-$100 million opener was actually the second Ant-Man and the Wasp film. Uh, in fact, this is the first Ant-Man film to actually cross $100 million domestically opening weekend. Also impressively, it sold 10% more tickets than Ant-Man 2, while in comparison, Thor Love and Thunder, which made more than Thor Ragnarok did, um, sold 1% fewer tickets. Also interestingly, 28% of ticket buyers opted for premium format theaters, myself, I watched it in 3D, uh, for an average of $4.29 more per ticket. Now, it's not all sunshine and roses for Ant-Man and the Wasp, though. Uh, reviews have been kind of unfavorable for the diminutive hero. It got a B cinema score, the second MCU film to do so after the much-maligned Eternals. Um, the first two Ant-Man films got an A and an A-. As of recording, it also has a rotten 48% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, just one point above the Eternals, and the second lowest in the MCU. The next lowest is Thor Love and Thunder at 64%. Um, the first two Ant-Man films got 83 and 87 from critics. Uh, audience scores were a bit more kind at 84% from Quantumania, more in line with the first two films, 85 and 80%, coming in at 19 out of 31 films, excluding the heavily brigaded Captain Marvel. Now, these lower critics' reviews certainly don't help Adman's case for it to try to leg out, though uh, looking ahead, a relative lack of competition for the next couple of weeks does help its chances. Longevity-wise, this probably has a similar drop in its second weekend to other MCU films as of late. High 60% or so, you know, 67-68%. And then overall, probably going to have a 2.5x or lower multiplier domestically. So call it maybe 230, maybe 250 million. Um, And then it'll cruise past. So it'll definitely make, I think, 500 million globally. The question will be, which is a presumed break-even point, the question whether it'll be able to make the presumed, uh, you know, uh, get get 600 or 700 million or so, right? Um, How high can go with Creed coming out in March. Um, the most recent Ant-Man film made 623 million worldwide with a 216 million domestic. So I, I would say a 700 million would probably be the unqualified success here, but still less than any of the Marvel films from the past year. Uh, moving on to the second place, we have Avatar Way of Water dropping only 9% to $6.5 million in its 10th weekend in 2,675 theaters for 2,449 per theater average and a domestic total of $657 million, about $15 million away from moving into 8th place domestically all-time, ahead of Titanic's $672 million. 
However, overseas, it's a different story. It's already made the leap to $2.244 billion ahead of Titanic's $2.221 billion, officially replacing third place James Cameron with uh, with the fourth place. Uh, James Cameron's replacing James Cameron, basically, um, for the number three highest grossing film of all time. Congratulations to them all. Uh, Endgame is probably out of reach at this point without a re-release a couple of years from now, with about half a billion separating number two and number three, but still, this is quite a legendary run. Uh, third place went to last week's number one film, Magic Mike, dropping 35% in 5.4 th- uh, to $5.4 million this weekend. Now, 35% in its second weekend is actually a very good drop, if not for the fact that it actually doubled the amount of theaters from just under 1,500 last week to over 3,000 this week, going from a 5,552 per theater average down to a 1,791 per theater average. Uh, yikes. Uh, the magic total sits at $18 million, another, with another $20 million overseas, putting at about $38 million worldwide. Still sold at that $45 million production budget. Um, as if this bizarre release strategy of having it be an HBO Max exclusive to having 1,500 theater release to expanding th- 3,000 theaters against Ant-Man and the Wasp as it wasn't weird enough, apparently it's going to be on PVOD sometime next week. So yeah, I have no idea what the folks at Warner were planning with this one. Uh, number four this week goes to Puss in Boots, uh, which had the best drop of the weekend, only 4%, the 5.3 million in 3,012 theaters for a 17.22 per theater average and a 166.1 million domestic total in week nine, um, currently sitting at 423 million worldwide, massive hit, and it probably won't keep, it probably won't stop until the Oscars at the very latest. Uh, rounding out the top five is M. Night Shyamalan's film Knock at the Cabin, coming in, coming up from sixth place last week, making $3.9 million in 2,601 theaters, which is about a $1,000 drop uh, for 27% down versus last week and a, 50, a 15.28 per theater average. The domestic total sits at $30.4 million. Another $17 million overseas puts it at $47 million worldwide, which is pretty good for the $20 million production budget. It's still pacing behind his last film, Old, uh, which, if I recall correctly, had a pretty extensive theatrical run, um, about 75 days uh, from July to October, despite falling below the you know first week $50 million benchmark that Universal has for films to uh, have longer than a 17-day release window. On the flip side, Knock at the Cabin uh, is on VOD only 18 days after release. Um, this is technically the standard 17 days deal, but it was uh, President's Day, so got an extra day out of it. Um, notably, Samalan did sign a first-look deal with Warner Brothers in the past week or so, so perhaps Universal isn't going out of the way to keep him happy like they did with old, given that he's moved over to Warner now. Outside the top five, we have some notable performances. Uh, 80 for Brady came in sixth place, dropping 35%, trading places with Doc in the Cabin, sits at $32 million to date. Uh, it's over the $28 million production budget, but not by much. Um, the, 25, the 25th anniversary Titanic re-release dropped pretty steeply as expected, 60, down 64%, but still made $2.4 million for a 11.30 per theater average. The 100th Liam Neeson film, Marlowe, from Open Road, scraped together $1.8 million over the weekend for a $2.5 million running total after its midweek release and a 794 per theater average this weekend um uh, kind of underrated but missing in its fifth weekend as has hit 29.6 million off of a 7 million production budget down 800 theaters uh to 15 16 total uh per theater average and making 1.7 million to date uh, this weekend Similarly, A Man Called Otto and Megan also lost about 1,000 theaters each this weekend. Um, also, Indian film Pathan hit 16.8 million domestic here, which is pretty impressive. Needs about, uh, call it 6 million to overtake Bahubali 2. 
Uh, in new releases, the 2023 Oscar shorts opened in 370 theaters for a 1984 per theater average. Uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey made 652,000 in this weekend for a 430 in 434 theaters for a 15.03 per theater average. Though adding to its midweek opening, it's about 1.5 million. Again, though, keep in mind this is all of a hundred thousand dollar production budget, so a pretty good return on investment there. Um, Focus features had romantic drama of an age in 289 theaters for a 12.71 per theater average. Uh, well Go USA brought Lunar New Year opener Hidden Blade stateside for the 62 theaters for an impressive 4,780 per theater average. Wandering Earth 2 is still in theaters with 2469 per theater average in 46 theaters. Uh, Bleecker Street uh, had the biodrama Emily about Emily Bronte in five theaters for an 8,000 per theater average. But the real per theater average winner of this weekend was Sony Pictures Return to Soul, which opened in two theaters to a 13,658 per theater average. Now, it's not an Oscar contender, but going over some, not all of the Oscar contenders, worth noting, uh, Donkey Film EO from Poland hit about $1 million this weekend, while Belgian Film Close is at 11.14 per theater average and added 55 theaters. Meanwhile, the, the Whale halved its theaters again in anticipation of going to VOD this coming Friday, closing out at a $16.5 million to date take uh, off of, I believe, about a $3 million production budget. So um, good all around for them. Uh, overall total box office this week has been super carried by Ant-Man and the Wasp, going up to $143.9 million this weekend. Coming up this week, the next biggest opener is Universal's based on a true story camp comedy, Cocaine Bear, forecasted to open in the $7 to $12 million range. Uh, Lionsgate also had the Christian film, has the film Christian film Jesus Revolution opening, forecasted for the $10 million. And then Roadside Attractions brings the British-Israeli comedy drama My Happy Ending to theaters with no forecasted opening, and then in limited animated film Mummies and Oscar Contender, I believe the last one to hit theaters, The Quiet Girl from Ireland, are opening as well. Um, overseas, as we mentioned, the biggest film was Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it did underperform somewhat in Asia, specifically China and Korea. Overall, it's about 13% ahead of the first Ant-Man and about 27% behind the second, but if you remove the Chinese numbers, those jump to about 52% and 5% ahead, respectively. It had been forecasted for about you know, 35 to 55 million in China, but ended up with only 19.2 million US. Mostly due to low reviews, it seems that American sci-fi stories don't really resonate as well over there. Um, though it did take the number one at the box office still, since it's been a month since uh, any of the Lunar New Year releases. Uh, but however, between this and Black Panther, it's a relatively inauspicious return to China for the MCU. Uh, overall, the top five markets for Ant-Man and the Wasp were China at 19.2 million, UK at 10.9, Mexico at 8.7, Korea with 7.2, which is considered an underperformance. It is the second lowest uh, MCU opening post-pandemic, um, and then Australia with 5.3 million. Uh, not too much else to go over, so let's just go over some headlines before I go over what I've been watching. Uh, according to Bloomberg, Warner Brothers Discovery is working on a new free ad-supported streaming service called WBTV, probably without all of their biggest hitting titles, but still looking for some way to make a little bit more cash flow off of their extensive library, uh, again, through advertising. Um, in an interview with uh, Entertainment Weekly, Kevin Feige noted that they are planning on slowing down the release of its Disney Plus curate, uh, MCU shows. In addition, Bob Iger noted that they will be focused on, on curating quality uh, franchise content that's currently very expensive. On the flip side, it also sounds like they're ramping up uh, trying to get Star Wars back onto the big screen, and then on the animated side of things, after the disappointing performances of Lightyear and Strange World, there is talk of a longer theatrical window for the upcoming Pixar film Elemental in June, and the 100th animation film uh, 
anniversary animation film Wish in November before putting them on Disney+. Not sure how this jives with their plans of trying to lean more into these brands at the end of a few weeks back, but hey, I'm all about uh, these changes. Now, as part of this, it looks like the Marvels, the next MCU film after Guardians of the Galaxy 3 in May, is going to be pushed back off of a July 28th release date, um, which was two weeks after Miss Impossible 7 and one week after the double feature of Oppenheimer and Barbie. So, you know, pretty crowded July makes sense they want to give it some breathing space. Um, the Haunted Manson film, set for August 11th, moves up to take its place. Um, instead, the Marvels will be opening on November 10th, the date previously occupied by the now-delayed Blade reboot. I imagine that a big part of this is that they wanted to make sure, you know, that they uh, wouldn't, um, you know, they, they they wouldn't have too big of a gap between um, the Marvels and the next one, since with Blade moving out of the out of the schedule, you know, that's like instead of like a, a couple months, um, you know, I believe there's something coming out in February. I forget which one at this point. There are too many MCU films, but you know, aside instead of that, you know, they're going to be uh, going to. Um, they're gonna uh, basically have have a more of a more of an even pace uh, for the films. Um, currently, you know, the only thing opening on the tenth is the Chicken Runs two uh, on Netflix, um, and this is one week after Dune Part two, and then two weeks before uh, the aforementioned Wiss. Um, and then let's see. We also got news of an upcoming uh, Will Smith uh, I Am Legend sequel um, starring Michael B. Jordan set decades after the original. Um, this is coming from Avika Akiva Goldsman. Not a very well-regarded uh, screenwriter, but he apparently just signed a first-look deal with Warner Brothers. And then rounding out the headlines, news is that Scorsese's next film coming out this year, Killers of the Flower Moon on Apple TV+, Plus, is reportedly at a 3-hour and 20-minute runtime and will be debuting at Cannes, though not, of course, finalized. Um, so yeah, it's gonna, for someone who's uh, watching all the Oscar movies at the moment, uh, yeah, that's going to be something to, to take a look forward to, like the Irishman uh, in past years. Anyway, to wrap up this episode, we'll go over something I haven't done in a while, uh, what I've been watching. Most of my what I've been watching has been relegated to my Oscars Death Race podcast. Um, but this time we have Adam and the Wasp Quantumania, which, you know, could very well be nominated for visual effects or something next year. Um, so, you know, overall, like I said, I watched this one in Philadelphia kind of when I got there for the Magic Convention. And, you know, it was a movie. I don't think it was a terrible movie you know i think at the end of the day if you go to the marvel films kind of expecting some sort of mindless you know i'm gonna just have enjoy enjoy the spectacle before me without thinking too deeply about it i don't think you'll be too disappointed i think you know obviously there are marvel films who can and do strive for something greater have like a greater story behind them for, of, of, of some some sort of theme this one was kind of jumbled right and you know the writer that they brought on i believe was one of the writers from rick and morty who i think you know this was his first solo writing project so i think it kind of shows right um you know, part of it is, you know, there's this whole subplot of, you know, Cassie's doing stuff uh, and she's trying to be a hero like her, like her dad, like like her dad stood for. But now he's just signing books and so on. So she's disappointed with him. It's like, what do you do? Do you do you, like, you know, do you not care about things or something unless it affects you directly? Right. Is that what a true hero does? Right. So they didn't really follow up on that thread. You know, there's a whole thread of, you know, Kang and, you know, some kind of self-sacrifice and then uh, which didn't go anywhere. You know, there's a bit of like a colonialization theme somewhat in there. I don't know stretching maybe a little bit um yeah i mean there's just a lot of stuff going on in here that i think was kind of underbaked um to some degree i mean the bill the bill murray was in it for all of like five minutes basically right for his kind of like the the russell crowe cameo uh in in thor love and thunder um and as far as like the visuals go i mean the visuals were okay i think 
it was kind of very uncanny. There were definitely some sequences where you could tell they were using the Mandalorian. Uh, I think the volume is they're calling it that that staging scene where they have the giant screens around them to, to film stuff because the, they looked oddly empty, like some of the CG se- sequences, right? And I don't know, it just didn't look quite as well. And of course, you know, again, a little bit of a spoiler. The whole Modoc thing was, I mean, he. he interesting but also just kind of really weird and bizarre which maybe is what the film needed but i don't know um and you know i think i think the biggest disappointment script wise was that you know they try to set up jonathan Majors, who by the way jonathan Majors is easily the best part of the film um you know he ate up that role and 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 you know and what he had at least you know and in the first part was you know very menacing and so on um i mean i will say you know i i definitely do enjoy the idea of like uh again spoiler alert um uh, a thousand year old colony of ants basically getting you know developing the technology necessary kind of beating kang squirrel girl style um kind of in a, in a ludicrous especially after michael douglas's you know hank pym character kind of been like i love ants i love ants and finally it kind of pays off in the end here kind of silly especially and not really the best setup for kang as a conqueror per se um but still highly amusing right kind of like the two different demarcations if you think about it um but i mean yeah yeah i think it's not a great look for kang especially since you know you know scott lang you know presumably and and hope van dyne presumably sacrificed themselves to you know keep kang in the quantum realm or whatever um Ultimately, like, you know, the fact that they were able to just go back to their lives afterward because Cassie opened the portal again was not the best, I think, narratively in setting up the, the real stakes. Like, if they had had them stuck in the quantum realm for in, the indefinite future, that would have added a lot more, oh, shit, Kang's actually, like, amazing, right? And the post-credit scene, right, definitely trying to tie in more to, you know, the Disney Plus shows. I mean, it's definitely reaching. I haven't seen Loki. I know kind of vaguely what happens. But, yeah, I mean, it is, this is not uh I think it, it's it's an MCU film that I think does an okay job of setting up Kang. I do, do miss um, Luis, right? The the you know I, this was a heist film, right? And and the original Ant Man films were essentially the, the MCU take on the heist film, kind of smaller takes here. And I don't know if that fits with with the with what they did here with Ant Man and trying to make it bigger, right? And you know again the whole like the whole subplot again going back to the inconsistency in the script, um, which if you can tell I don't actually have any notes for this. I'm just going off the top of my head. Like the whole thing about like you know he, he missed time with his daughter and like she's a different person now. Like that kind of trauma is like okay like what like like that's not very well written um kind of like there and then it kind of like disappears so yeah i don't know i think this film i i think it suffers more so from having to deal with just being part of the larger mcu as opposed to being a, its own self-contained story right which is what people are made presumably marvel thinks people want like this interconnected story right and obviously jonathan kang uh, jonathan majors as as kang you know needs to start somewhere the quantum realm is a decent place for him to start right and kind of I mean, it makes the most sense as a connection to that but yeah, I mean, like, it, 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 as a, it does a disservice, I think, to the Ant-Man characters of, of what it is. So, overall, you know, I gave it a 3 out of 5 initially. I think the more I think about the film, it goes down to maybe 2 out of 5. Not a very, you know, I, I would say probably the bottom third of MCU films, frankly speaking. But, again, if you're looking for an easy way to spend two day, like two hours in the movie theater or whatever, this isn't the worst thing to do. So, again, overall, 2 out of 5 stars. Uh, and with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Two more deals will also cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at zoom.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Or still on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Make sure you subscribe, but leave a review, at the very least tell a friend any of that helps. Links to all of that in our show notes. Numbers you can still come from needlenumbers.com. Intro and out music, Kevin MacLeod. You can find this stuff in company about music.io. Um, editing production by Ninja Boy Media. And until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. Mm-hmm.